I'm not sure if anybody knows about this, but we put out this new little CD. I know. Uh, if you get a chance, maybe you could go out and get it for your mother's stocking or something like that. <clears throat> Christmas and the goose is fat. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Corner of Gray Street podcast. I'm Bruce, and this is a special episode. Well, they're all special because I'm always joined by Nolan. What's happening, man? Oh, yeah. What's going on? We are excited about this episode in particular because this if you go back 25 years ago, uh, this week sparked uh, a lot of things in the music world, and a lot of Dave Matthews Band fans were born. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have a very special show for you guys this week. I mean, this is the 25th anniversary of Under the Table and Dreaming, the band's first major studio album. And man, is it a good one. Nolan. I don't know when you first heard this album in full or in pieces, but I remember the first time I heard some of these songs, and the first one that I heard from this album may surprise you. Which one was that? Satellite. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, like you would you would think that it would be, oh, Ants Marching, or what would you say? No, it was studio version of Satellite, and... Hmm. I really, really liked it. I still like that version. Um, but, I mean, just to kind of talk about the album, just vaguely before we get into the meat of this episode, um, quick hot take, and may not be that hot. I think this album, the first song on this album, is the best opening to any DMB album, and one of the best opening tracks to any album that I know of personally and that's probably not that many albums in the grand scheme of things, but best of what's around. Oh, what an incredible open to an album. It does not get any better than that. Boa, boom, just starts you off in the best place possible. Yeah, and it just it kind of continues throughout the most of the record there. It's a very airy and dreamy. You know, you're dreaming. It's you, uh, it, there's no electric instruments on this one. You know, they didn't have that meat to them yet. So they were very, it was just a very happy song and a very peppy, happy record, very raw record. And, you know, starts there and ends, you know, with that secret track, number 34 there at the very end and just bookends perfectly. What a great opening statement, really, for the Dave Matthews Band. It really was. They could not have started better and, you know, I would be interested to know about the uh, selection process uh, for the songs that actually made the cut because, uh, as we all know, they had several other songs lined up ready to go. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, there are some that we kind of know about. You know, obviously we got, um, I believe, Granny with the Under the Table vinyl recently um, or a few years ago for the 20th anniversary. And there were some other takes that, um, I mean, there's, it's pretty well known that Get In Line was oftentimes used as a uh, studio kind of warm-up song, and they did actually kind of consider it for this album more so than other albums. Um, it was a very popular uh, song for them to be playing around this time. Um, and then a few songs that uh, well, foreshadowing something that we'll be talking about here in a few minutes, um, and that would come on other albums. Uh, Say Goodbye and Drive In, Drive Out, I believe, were also potentially worked on here for this album. We're not 100% sure now, 
But the, you know, all signs kind of point to yes. If you're shaking that magic eight ball, um, it's probably going to point to yes. And there may be more that we're unaware of. Um, maybe one day Mr. Steve Lillywhite can uh, join us or he can provide us with some more insight onto what else was tested in these sessions. Yeah, or maybe we'll just read about it in his autobiography that he's writing currently. We Ooh. reached out to Steve to try and get him on the pod to talk about UTAD this week, um, but he is not doing media or, I guess, press uh, until his book is out. Uh, so hopefully hopefully we'll have uh, some interesting tidbits to find out during that, and hopefully he'll come on the pod. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. And as we speak kind of of the songs that were tested there, you know, I know we got that granny. But, man, I know there are some cool jams and stuff that they recorded. Like, I know that there are some cool stuff uh, in there, maybe in that vault that we haven't quite gotten unlocked yet. I mean, there are some um, stuff like ooh, maybe people will know Kind Intentions, maybe. Like some uh, mm. that has been, has popped up in a sound check here or there. Just stuff like that that was... I mean, this the band was so fresh at this point in time. They were so eager to just play and record. There's There's got to be some really good stuff in there. The sessions, you know, themselves were pretty short, but I, those guys just love playing music, and I think that uh, there has to be some more stuff in there that we don't know about. Hopefully Steve will shed some light on that for us. But, Bruce, I think it's time we move on to oh, yeah. a very extended and special this week in DMB history, where we, along with the band, are going to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Under the Table and Dreaming release with their 92894 release party concert at Flood Zone in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, yes. This is awesome. Um, you know, Under the Table and Dreaming. September 27th, 1994, here we go. They have a you know release album, party, whatever, kind of a private thing. And the next night, they are back. They are back at the flood zone, and they are back with a vengeance. They are here to promote an album, guys. They are here to you know celebrate. This is a big deal. They signed with RCA Records. They put out this new hit record. Like They're ready to play some damn shows and return back to Virginia since they'd been up in New York. And yep. they get this show started with a bang, Nolan. We talked about how great of an opener Boa is on the album. It's just as good live, if not better. I mean, we've talked about it some this summer. It is one of their best live openers. Oh, gosh, yes. We were fortunate enough to see it actually uh, in the encore, in the uh, tour opener this year. But Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear it at any point in any show, but opening a show is just the way to go. And pretty cool that, you know, the day after the album comes out, they start the show the same way the album starts. Absolutely. I think, you know, the fans were probably, you know, if I just got my hands on a DMB record and, you know, listened to it straight through, I'm probably going to want to hear that opening track open the show. I mean... Maybe not recent. I don't think I'd want to see Samurai Cop open a show. Um, I don't really care to see Dream Girl open a show, which one of my the best shows I've ever seen actually opened with Dream Girl. But that's neither here nor there. No, you're disqualified for saying that. <laughs> but you know, I mean, seeing a 
best opener or so much to say or a broken things Dave opener, <laughs> I would be eager to see this because it sounds incredible. And Nolan, why does this tape sound so much better than the tapes that we've uh, been playing recently uh, on this podcast? That's because it's a soundboard. Yes. Back in the day, the band used to let tapers plug in directly to the soundboard. So when I started listening to it, I was like, geez, what kind of, why does it sound so good? But we looked it up, and yes, it is a uh, soundboard source. So it is crispy and sounds immaculate. It really does. It really does. And Carter is like really loud. His drums, his vocals are high. It's just, it's a fantastic mix. Um, and so we've got a lot of music to play from it for you tonight. But, ooh, I don't know. This this is just Boa opener just has me feeling all kinds of good and stuff. But we should probably move on throughout the show. <laughs> a fantastic way to start the show and a fantastic return to the flood zone. I'm going to quote the almanac on this one. This is DMB's Home Away From Home in the early 90s. And... I mean, really, outside of tracks in Seaville, this was the place to see DMB back in the day. So um, we haven't been in here for a long time, and uh, we certainly have missed this room. It's a good room. It's nice to see so many familiar faces that used to fuck around in here, too. So that's really good of you all to come and be the same people. And thank you for waiting in line and shit to get here. We're really grateful for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really not that long of a drive between Charlottesville and Richmond. You know, just over an hour or so. Really easy for the band to get there. Really easy for fans to travel from Charlottesville if they wanted to. Or I'm sure they had tons of fans there in Richmond as well. And yeah, welcome back. And everyone's about to make the best of what's around. (sighs) Anyways, moving on to song two in the set. Hey, Satellite. I mean, they don't play that all that much anymore. Oh, just kidding. Still going strong 25 years later. (laughs) It is. And... Honestly, back in the day, I, you know, you, I really liked Satellite a lot more. You know, they used to have some of those unique Boyd or Roy intros and with um, some unique guitar playing. But this is just standard version. Song sounds pretty much just like the album. Nailed it. Boom. Moving on to a song that Dave says is. This song is about a fat goose. Dave, I'm pretty sure the song is not about a fat goose, but that's okay. Maybe it was to you at the time. That's fine. It should be. Yeah, why not? And uh, this is almost the same run as the album starts. Uh, if you swap out What Would You Say in Satellite, um, just flip those around. It's the same three-song run to start both. And I actually heard a story. I, I can't remember who told me this. And maybe it was you, but I'm not sure. Um, that like early on when What Would You Say was the first single, that at one show the band played it, very early in the show, maybe even to open. And that's like the only song that people wanted to hear because it was the only song they knew. And then everyone just left. So then they just stopped playing it early on in the show. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just really? it out there. That is something that's made the rounds. Well, it wasn't me that said it. I've never heard that. That's interesting. This is the kind of stuff that you get on the corner of Gray Street podcast. This is exclusive information. It's probably also somewhere on the Almanac where they played in some random ass place and the people didn't know who they were and Dave played that song and then they were like, oh, okay, I don't know these other songs and left. Um, that's interesting. We need to find that out. But yeah, so anyways, 
album version. It was, I believe, the first single, like you said, Nolan, and they had a special guest on the album version, John Popper. And interestingly enough, he actually recorded the album solo in literally one take. I believe Dave left the room. He may have went to the bathroom, came back, and Popper was done. I think they recorded one for, you know, safekeeping or whatever. He was in and out of that studio in a jiffy. He had to catch a flight over to Europe to start their tour, the Blues Traveler Tour, and he was gone. He blew through it, nailed it, see ya, thanks. And, you know, he um, is probably continuing to collect some royalties today from that. (laughs) As he should. He nails it. He really does. And speaking of nailing it, um, Dave nails the end of this song. The guitar jam that comes in, you know, the Roy solo and everything, and we still get that same guitar jam today. Well, Dave used to kind of throw some other interesting licks in there, and I really, really appreciate that about him and about this version and about these older versions. He doesn't really throw in those extra ones these days, but it was on the album they kind of overdubbed uh, the regular um, bridge, jam, whatever, guitar section with Dave's um, improv, whatever you want to call it, his alternate guitar lick here. And so it's an overdub on the album. But live, he would play both of them, you know, at uh, separate times. And I really, really used to like this and wish that he would bring it back. guitar jam at the end of what would you say is still to this day one of my favorite things to play on guitar it just dave's a genius uh it it sounds great it really does and another thing that sounds great is dancing nancy's which comes next and is great on the album and it was a great version here they um they take that violin and sax outro from the utad as norlander calls it the utad album version and they're playing it live right here uh with carter going nuts and we have i think it was a slight improv lyrical intro nolan yes it was that's always pretty cool but nancy's just uh the ending here with the guitar with the violin the saxophone i can't get enough of it i'm that's something that I really, really miss about what, you know, the way the band has evolved now. 
and just that sound it was just so it was just so unique and it still is there's nothing like it one of the things that everyone looked forward to uh, as soon as dancing nancy started i miss it i know tim adds a lot to it now but it's just not quite the same cool that every once in a while it still goes into warehouse thank god that they have the intro that they used to have these days and that is one thing that i think this version of the band does even better than that version of the band is the under the table the old school whatever you want to call it warehouse intro it kicks ass yeah. oh it's so good nowadays too they the build-up is incredible and his improv uh lyrics i i'll say um but dave is super into this version um especially toward the end i mean he's like got the gravelly voice going and Leroy moore just goes off and yes. i think we need to listen to it oh let's dedicate some time to this thank you roy Rest in peace, my man. That was disgustingly delicious. Um, and I don't know if those two words together really make sense. 
But what does make sense is uh, to play Say Goodbye next. And this it was not. Okay, guys, this was not on the new album. This was the first song that they played that actually wasn't, did not make the cut of Under the Table and Dreaming. The song structure is there, but the lyrics, it's, it's a lot of mumble. Don't you think, Nolan? Like, there was just a whole lot of, I couldn't really tell um, what Dave was saying. Yeah, I think the song structure is there, um, and it's pretty similar to the song that we know nowadays, but lyrics definitely not set. At one point, Dave is like singing about a roller coaster or something. <laughs> There's a line about that. This song had very strong vocals. Dave's voice, um, especially this is when I really started noticing it in this show when I was like, you talked about you notice it in Warehouse. Say Goodbye was it for me where I was like, damn. I mean, he's sounding really good. And maybe that was mm-hmm. why uh, the crowd was really trying to get up close to him because before the song, uh, Dave tells him to, you know, back the F up, like, you know, Stop crowding everybody. Yeah. Stop acting crazy and just chill out. They were jamming, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mosh pit up front for um, what was the song of, oh, for Warehouse? Oh, of course, yeah. I do think it's funny we talk about Dave's voice. Anytime I play a show, and I think we've mentioned this before on the pod, but an early show, my wife just is like, I can't believe Dave used to sound like that. And if you had introduced this version of dave to me i would i might not have liked it uh she Hmm. much prefers the older uh dave's voice and i actually think there's some merit to that because she's always right but also Mm -hmm. because good man i think dave's peak vocal performances were i'm gonna say 97 to 04 that was dave prime dave voice right there oh yeah Absolutely, and we talked about um, you know this being an anniversary. While another anniversary that was this week was Central Park concert, and we put a post out there talking about what was what were people's favorite moments from the show, and there were a lot of different answers. But you mm-hmm. know, Dave's vocals in that show, like his voice, was in a lot during the '03 tour. But just that we have such a clean version there, um, such a clean recording for that show god does it sound good oh it's perfect and i mean we could do an entire podcast on the central park show which maybe we'll do next year or for another big anniversary for that one but gosh the band was flawless that night and i'm so glad we have that release and have it in a dvd format absolutely and a lot of people mentioned that uh dave scat from jimmy thing was their favorite uh, ver, you know, thing from that release. So good. And it's really good. But Dave gave us a little insight in this show back in 94, telegraphing up to 25 years later what his favorite mm-hmm. song is. This next song might be my favorite one on this new album that I was mentioning earlier that we have out. But I'm not sure because I think every other one might be my favorite too. Oh, well, oh, fuck it. And Nolan, what might Dave's favorite song be? Well, if the fans who have seen this song at probably every show they've ever been to couldn't guess it, it is Jimmy Thing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Which is awesome. Oh, I mean, I can completely understand why it was his favorite off the album at the time, and probably maybe still is, I don't know. But 
in my opinion, was so much better back then than it is right now. But mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's a good album version. But Dave kind of tries to qualify his statement and is like, well, you know, but also I like these songs, you know, and then I love this one, and then that's my favorite, and then this is my favorite. And it's like, no, nah, Dave, you're, you're just completely obsessed with Jimmy Thing then and now and every year in between. Yeah, he loves it. I actually, out of the three shows I saw this summer, did not see Jimmy Thing. Um, just a little fun fact there. I think but, I only saw uh, it once out of five, so that's a that's not a bad ratio. Wow, interesting. Hmm. But yeah, it got me thinking, Dave. What's this song about? It's a song about getting high. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> Dave. If people were high at this show, their faces probably melted off during this jam because holy Leroy Moore, Oof. this is a lot of fire. Oh, it really is. Roy Carter is going bananas. Dave's, I love Dave's guitar on this one. It is, I think it is so much more interesting than whatever they do now. Um, Dave's guitar Mm -hmm. is just kind of, it sounds like it can lead you somewhere. I'm not, not really sure how to describe it. It just kind of sounds like it's going somewhere and is like, you're just kind of along for the ride and waiting for it to take you there. And Roy Mm -hmm. is taking you there. And uh, it is, this is a great, great jam. And Dave actually has a little solo there at the end. So I think we should, um, let's treat the audience to another epic Leroy Moore performance. And um, we'll see what else, uh, where else the band takes us.
that was so good. And you can just like kind of tell the the curiosity in Dave's guitar playing. Like he he's always itching to play. Oh yeah. And I think that's a really cool aspect of Dave in the early days. Mm, that was very very well put. Curiosity. I love that. And oh, thanks. um you know Another curious thing from Dave on guitar is rhyme and reason. Just the guitar lick itself. Like, what? what? Why? How? How'd you do that? I don't know. But it's it's always been so awesome to me. And I, I never have been like a huge fan of the album version of Rhyme and Reason. I don't know why. It just didn't quite land for me. I listened to it again recently and just didn't love the album version. But live, God bless it. Mm. Dave's vocals, especially on this one, well, just almost all of the rhyme and reasons, so aggressive and passionate. Oh, yeah. Uh, live rhyme and reason, Dave certainly gets into it. And going back to the guitar riff, I think, hmm, we'll probably tackle this in the off offseason, uh, which is quickly approaching once these upcoming shows are out of the way. Top 10 guitar riff by Dave all time? It could be. That's a, that's a great tease. Might be in that conversation. Mm. Yes, and uh, here's a little here's a little bit of Dave speak about what this song means and is about. This song is about getting a little too attracted to the needles and to the fixations of life that might be excessive to you. Taking too much of a good thing then becomes a bad thing. Maybe, but then sometimes too much of a good thing is a really really good thing. <laughs> Ooh, all right, very interesting. Well, as you can tell, Dave is kind of feisty and he gets feisty at the end of this song and just starts wailing and you're going to want to hear this kind of kind of scary dave calm down <laughs> dude i do love the dichotomy between like that and then the very end of rhyme and reason where it's just it's almost kind of like you know the junkie that has you know shot up and they're entering into this much slower calmer state and dave dave does that perfectly uh with his vocals there but moving on, we have yeah, a very spacey. Oh yeah, exactly. I've always loved the end to rhyme and reason. I don't know why, but just always sounds great. And I've also always loved "Pay for What You Get," another great album cut there on uh, "Under the Table and Dreaming." It is great on the album, and it's great live. And Dave, how would you describe this song? This is quiet, but it's quite funky anyway. <laughs> I think we'd both agree, and one of the reasons for that is Carter effing Beaufort. I mean, it's just stupid. 
why and how does he do what he does? Kind of in the vein of Michael Scott, you know, why I I hate how you choose to be or whatever he says, but I love how Carter chooses to be what he is and what he does on this <laughs> song. He just, it's kind of that yin and yang between that guitar, Dave singing, and Carter just doing anything and everything. I think we've talked about it before on some pay for what you get that we've played. Just how different of a beat he can throw in there. And we'll play a little bit of this Roy solo right here. And just, I love how him and Carter are both playing these different styles that are just, they're so different, but they're complementary at the same time. I don't know. They're just, I just love it. Yeah, that was smooth. Carter is the perfect drummer. And one thing that I've always loved about this song is when Dave's in the mood, he'll throw in a little Norwegian wood uh, outro here. And obviously big fans of the Beatles here. And it's just a cool tie-in. So always appreciative of that. And then next up, another non-Utad song. We go Lie in Our Graves. And... It's not just Lionar Graves, it's Lionar Graves segueing into minarets, which segues into typical, and oh my goodness, this three-song segue is the highlight of the show for me. I know this entire thing is dedicated toward Under the Table and Dreaming, but this is incredible. And even before seeing minarets go into typical... I thought Graves in the Minarets was the highlight. It's that good. And this line, our Graves jam, is money. And Dave is doing some interesting stuff here, Bruce. Oh, absolutely, dude. I mean, I don't ever remember. I've heard a lot of Lionar Graves and a lot of older ones. And maybe I just haven't paid as much attention. Somebody could correct me. But I don't ever remember Dave doing this sort of improv in the Lionar Graves jam like he does here. He changes it up. You know, there's Roy and Carter, and they're just destroying it. And then Dave starts changing up the guitar chords. Um, and God, I really, really miss stuff like this. You know, it's improv like this that really made them so unique and so popular so quickly. 
back then. Yeah. Um, just a lot of playfulness. You know, where is that now? You know? Yeah. Probably because they've gotten older, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, and understandable. <laughs> uh, you know, back, you know, when yeah. you're younger, you want to be more exploratory with almost anything in your life. Yeah. And I appreciate how this is a fairly succinct jam. Um, it's a pretty compact, short, and not much time in between going into the reprise. And then the reprise goes directly into minarets but before we go any farther let's uh let's let you hear this jam that goes into the reprise and then into minarets it is delightful
And Nolan, he tells no lies. That was delightful. As is the segue, mm-hmm. they just go right into minarets here. Cool intro. Um, you know, longer intro than they do now. I kind of like the more modern minarets intros. Just they're more succinct yeah. and more aggressive. Because Carter rap. Yeah, in the Carter <laughs> rap. But, um, you know, whatever. Anytime you get Liner Graves segueing into minarets, that's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, it is. In, in typical minarets fashion, you hear Dave doing the palm muting at the beginning of the intro to minarets. But you can also hear Boyd plucking a little bit uh, during this, which I thought was interesting. Not something you typically hear, and alas, not something you hear at all these days. Yeah, mm. yeah, very true. Also in typical minarets fashion, you know, it um, just absolutely rips at the end. They just go off, and I love when they do that. Dave, Roy's going nuts. Carter's going nuts. It just, I just love the end of minarets. Now, Bruce, are you talking about typical minarets fashion or minarets into typical fashion? Wow, wow, mm. that was well played by you. Well played. That just went completely over my head. Thank you. I missed it. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Podcast 101 there. <laughs> Oh man, but I uh, I think I think we should play a little bit of this minarets jam at the end, uh, Dave. Again, super energetic, just bringing it. great way to segue right into typical situation just a three song run for the ages right there i love that and this typical intro is gorgeous haunting even i believe uh as my good friend nolan has said about this version and it is just yep. it puts you in just a nice headspace i guess and just lets you sink right into the music i don't know there's no better way to put it it's just gorgeous it really is. And speaking of gorgeous, the next song, the first song Dave ever wrote, allegedly, I'll Back You Up. Very, very nice. And, you know, you get this almost Dave solo, but not quite. I mean, the band pretty much plays on it 
Um, but you get a nice Fawn solo here, which is pretty cool. And it sets up very, very nicely for the set closing recently, which is a great way to close a main set, Nolan. I want to see that now. I want 2019 DMB. DMB 3.0, I guess, are they still 3.0? or I don't know. Whatever they are now, <laughs> the Dave Matthews Party Band. Let's end a set with recently. Let's go. Come on. Let's do this. I know. And this was, it was so well done, too, because... The the outro has all of the band introductions. Dave does that, which is pretty cool. Um, Then they do all of the, I mean, (laughs) they do a mashup of like every recently outro they've ever done. Uh, I think, you know, they threw in pretty, pretty girl at the beginning. Carter messes that up. (laughs) It's just kind of funny. (laughs) And um, one of our favorites, Norwegian Wood. Is this the only show that features two Norwegian Wood interpolations? I don't know. Is it? It might be. I was surprised listening to it and uh, took note that Dave had Norwegian Wood on the brain and uh, could not locate it on the Almanac, hmm. but I've never heard, listened to a show where I've, I've heard that twice, it so would, that is interesting. It would be kind of tough to probably find, um, to find out, but mm-hmm. it's, that info has to be somewhere. We may just have to scroll through literally every single show. We'll and do as it. Dave continues to go through every single interpolation, they also do the on-Broadway interpolation and Take Me to the River, River the River. And it was just a great way to end the set. I mean, which is, man, I, like you said, I want to see a recently set closer. I think it would be freaking awesome. Oh, it'd be, it would be perfect. What are we doing? <laughs> I don't know, but they knew what they were doing because they came out swinging in the encore yeah. and opened up the encore with a first slot E1, One Sweet World, with the intro, the instrumental intro. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. We've played it for you before on the pod, and uh, gosh, we won't play it again. Because we're going to keep it special, just like DMB does. They don't play it. Um, so you guys don't get to hear it. But <laughs> go back and listen to whatever episode that was. But this is money. It is. Man, I miss that so much. They should do that again. You know, I listened to um, a couple songs from the Vegas 07, I think it was 07, 09, excuse me, 09, Dave and Tim release. Vegas. Vegas. And. Um, they he does the one sweet world intro for Dave and Tim one sweet world like Dave what are you doing play it now it's fine we'll get yeah. over it maybe I wish there was video of of what goes down next in the just encore, the entire encore we go yeah this is incredible and we're just we're gonna play all of this for you but before we do that we're gonna break it down. We've got Halloween, and it begins with a nasty Carter solo intro, mm-hmm. and oh, he we're not worthy. We are not worthy of this man. No, and it is, oh, man. This Halloween is just like, just right in your face. This is a incredible version. Like you said, starts off with Carter, but then you've got, you know, I mean, who doesn't love what Dave does vocally on Halloween? Always. And then, Nolan, they go into, you know, Carter 
I mean, they cut Halloween. It almost seems like short, but to um, a Carter yeah. snare hit, which is almost like an ants marching fake that you guys will hear here. Mm-hmm. And then a Halloween reprise ants intro Halloween reprise jam with boy. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And it's awesome. Oh, it's so awesome. And Carter just, he keeps the like ants, uh, snare beat going, um, pretty much the entire time. And then it's, it's like they skip the Halloween jam, go into this ants thing and then go back into the Halloween jam where it's just Boyd soloing. Yeah. Over the jam. And it's awesome. And, and flawless. It's not it's not like they messed up. No. They nail it. And then they go right into ants. And let's play all of this for you because this is one of the cooler things that we've talked about and played on this podcast.
one last note about Halloween. I think it's like pretty amazing how I mean this song was already fully formed in 1994 and uh, didn't make it onto an album for another four years uh, when BTCS came out. And I mean, it even seemed to me to be more set than Say Goodbye. Like it is, even though it's a year older than Say Goodbye, like Say Goodbye making it onto Crash. Obviously they spent a lot of time working on Say Goodbye, but you know the uh, lyrics and structure to Halloween are pretty much the same as it is today. Yeah. Uh, 25 years later sounds the same just missing tim yeah and it's crazy halloween was never even considered uh i don't even know if it was tested in the studio for either uh under the table or crash i don't think it was at all and it wasn't even really going to be on before these crowded streets um help myself was probably going to be the one so it is very interesting how it almost didn't make any albums but you know, it it was fully fleshed out. Right. Like this was almost it had almost uh, been around for I think two years here. But still, like you said, I mean, it is pretty crazy how polished and just how great it sounded. For you know, it it got played some, but it, you know, it wasn't considered for those first two albums, and it was more fleshed out than other songs that were played also a lot and that were considered. So that yeah, dude, mm-hmm. great point. That is extremely just odd and just another one of those interesting tidbits that you just kind of never know what's going on through dave's head yeah and it all worked out because before these crowded streets was uh was perfect Mm -hmm. placement for that song going off of that they go into ants and one of the things i thought was the coolest part of this other than like the jam at the end which you'll hear later on in the episode is the people already know the words to the song which it's crazy to me. I mean, this is the album release party, and the band stops playing like they do nowadays and let the crowd sing, people in every direction, no words exchanged, no time to exchange. I did not realize that that had been happening uh, since 1994, and I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, how cool is that? Literally, the album was released the day before. I mean, I get Ants had been yeah. played for you know years or a couple years or whatever, but regardless, I right. mean, sure, they're playing Flood Zone, they're in their hometown, but still, I mean, the band, <laughs> mm-hmm. that is, that's so awesome. That is like, that's giving you chills, just being like, damn, man, they're still doing that, you know? And you know what an awesome show it was. Almost the entire album got played that night. I kind of wish the entire album was yeah. played, but it's a lot of unique uh, stuff in there. Maybe I don't know if unique playing. Obviously, you know the songs themselves; they're still played a lot. But unique playing stuff mm-hmm. that we don't hear anymore. And um, Nolan, why don't you uh, tell us what was actually missing from this show? Only two songs. We were missing Lover Lay Down and number 34. Oh, man. Those would have been two great Roy songs there. Oh, yeah. But 34, oh. I mean, it hadn't been played for, oof, over a year before that. And then it made it onto the album and, you know, didn't have lyrics anymore. The last time that it was played live before that, it had lyrics. And then mm-hmm. no longer was thrown onto the album as a secret track and then not played again until 2005. 
Insanity. But what a great show. And this was a really fun one to go back and listen to and strongly encourage everyone to go back and download this full show. You will not be disappointed. And again, the quality is immaculate. So be sure to check it out. Two other tidbits about this week. Not this week in DMB history, but in pop culture at this time, in 1994, The Shawshank Redemption was released. An all-time movie. One of my favorites. Incredible. Hard to believe that is 25 years old as well. And also, special shout-out to Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Turned 70 this week. Wow. Happy birthday, Bruce. The boss. He is the boss. That's awesome. Yeah, what a great week for just pop culture rock and roll dmb that's man a lot of cool stuff there a lot of cool stuff there and also pretty cool anniversary for the two of us in in 2006 this week marks the first time that we went to charlottesville together to see the band oh wow was uh two nights first time playing at jpj and Bruce, I think we have a mini bonus this week in DMB history. Why don't you tell the listeners what they are in store for? Well, it's not a full show. It is one full song, and it's one we've talked about on this podcast a lot. We will probably continue <laughs> to a lot. Um, I put in my two hundred dollars worth of begging for this song to be on a warehouse disc and it finally made it uh this is the version this is my favorite i know some people may it may not be their favorite don't care this is they're wrong yeah this is it (laughs) this was this was and this was also the end this was the last great version of shotgun shotgun Mm, man, and how, how lucky are we that we got to see this version? I mean, wow, man, it is. It's still to this day. Just I, I listen to it, you know, every so often, and every single time, I'm like, <laughs> this is perfection. Oh yeah, we were lucky, but not quite as lucky as trench coat guy who got to see it from backstage. <laughs> Well, I can't confirm nor deny whether or not he was backstage at the time of Shotgun, but he was probably in the building. He may have been getting carried out at this point. Who knows? That is that story. Wow. We'll save that for another time. (laughs) But this, this is the version of Shotgun. It is epic in every sense of the word. Yeah, it's perfect. It is. There's a nice extended intro. This was before Dave started talking about turn in your TV on or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a great intro. Boyd is beautiful on the intro. It comes in. The song starts nicely. Dave's improv lyrics are pretty good, but just the emotion that him, that he builds and him along with Carter build is just awesome. Yeah. The buildup's incredible. And we were both just in awe watching this live. Yeah. I mean, especially the second verse when Dave really takes his vocals up and starts um, yelling. This was before he yelled all of Shotgun, you know, like every part, which is just drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. But this was when he actually used yeah. it for inflection and used it as like as a tool. He used it to build the song up. And man, 
Oh, Carter is nat. It's just so good. The horns are great. They don't do that weird thing that they started doing <sighs> later on. But no. I mean, just all of it mm. is so good. Butch is good. At the end, I almost want him to like. Butch is great. Almost want him to like play an outro. You know, because he starts playing a little at the end. I'm like, ooh, can you uh, keep that mm-hmm. going? Let's have a 20 minute version, please. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of surprised they never really jammed this out the way they could have. Again, this version is the best, but just just think about what this jam could have been if it had gone the route of like a two step or seek up. Yeah, I mean, they definitely could have done it. All you had to do was throw in something and honestly you probably could have thrown in oh do you remember when they were doing i think it was big whiskey and they had that time bomb um intro on the on the red guitar and then they had Mm -hmm. then he was i think it's in those videos dave was playing another lick on that guitar and it was kind of like a big build up or whatever and um he's strumming it and it sounds like, oh mm-hmm. man, this could be good. And they were talking about, oh, this could be, this could be like a two-step. That's what needed to be in Shotgun. I don't know the words to describe whatever that was, but that is what needed to be in Shotgun. What you're just talking about, substitute that in. Yeah. And oof. Oh, I know. I gave them that lick. I sent it to them. Oh, and well, good. They didn't use it. What are they doing? Exactly. There are no words. And honestly, I don't think there are any more words to describe this one. I think we should just play it. And we're going to play, well, I mean, like we've kind of done tonight, we're playing a lot of music tonight, okay? And we're going to play this whole damn thing. So, guys, take it away.
epic, epic, epic. Yeah, happy anniversary. Yes, happy anniversary to you and to this song and performance. And and not to Trenchcoat Guy. Not to him. I hope that guy's still in jail. <laughs> Kept us from seeing Last Stop that night. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Anyways, this is the start of our campaign to bring back Shotgun. So we'll see if that works in the future. We're going to jump ahead back to current time, the present. This past week, Dave and Tim made an appearance at Farm Aid. And Bruce, this was a pretty standard set. Um, watched a little bit of the live stream, caught caught it in time to see uh, Lion Our Graves, which always a highlight, Dave and Tim. But oh, wow. So Was there another highlight? Yeah, there actually was. It was right after Lion Our Graves. It was the Alpine Valley venue debut for Come Tomorrow. Wow. I mean, what a treat. Oh, Finally, I'm sure that they were just... The fans, they couldn't believe it. Those Alpine goers, they were just so stoked. I just can't imagine that feeling. Oh, wait, yeah, I can, because it's been at all four of my last four West Palm shows. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yeah. The last three. Yeah, the last three. Just every single, I mean, they've, well, They've played it at every single stop, I think, since then, since whenever they... And we talked about it on the podcast. We talked about how it was like something was going on politically, and we were kind of like, you know, Dave's starting to kind of talk. He was playing Last Stop. Bristow around D.C. Yeah. I mean, it was all that kind of stuff. Joyride, Last Stop, Come Tomorrow, all this kind of stuff was going on. It was just like, ugh. I mean... I guess seeing last stop Political kind of made Dave. up for come tomorrow, but still. Did you say half stop? <laughs> I, I apologize for not oh. saying half stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave and Tim, they're staying busy. And then the band, I mean, they came back. They're playing another show. Good Lord. The next night, See Here Now Festival in Asbury Park, New Jersey. This was the, I believe, the last full band domestic concert that, um, that we're going to get here for a while. I think there may be a mm-hmm. um well this was a festival but i think there may be a uh corporate event here or there coming up don't know all the details there but this was well it was as standard as you can get there nolan yes and as soon as i took a look at the set list i thought this set sums up the 2019 tour as a whole yeah it is just they played like all of the staples um from this tour and I'm going to run through this so you can understand uh, what we're talking about here. What would you say? Bayou, funny the way it is, come tomorrow, bridge into too much, die trying, kill the preacher into don't drink the water, do you remember, sledgehammer, everyday, gray street, Jimmy thinks, sexy MF, back in black, staying alive, into fly like an eagle, <laughs> and then crash into me, into ants. So <laughs> I think crash was the most rare song. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Wow. Oh, man. That is, that's pretty wild, man. Um, and, you know, it's not yeah. that it's terrible or it's anything. It's a festival. It's, yeah. It's just, you know, it was, that's the micro- microcosm of the whole 2019 summer tour. All of like the most played songs, they just couldn't help themselves there. And that's what they did. Yeah. But whatever. A little strange that like a festival show was. V- similar to a normal 
tour stop. That's, that's not usually the case. That's true. That's a good, uh, like, it's not the tour average. Yeah. Um, yeah. But whatever. Um, last night, actually, Nolan, I texted you late at night and said, <laughs> Dave and Tim are playing a show. And this was on um, this was on Tuesday the 24th, I believe, for those listening later on. Dave and Tim had a private event out in Colorado somewhere. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned that you caught it on Rob's Rob Stevenson's live IG, and then uh, I saw it the next morning on Dave's trainer's Instagram story. Oh, and okay. Yeah, random, but uh, yeah, I thought the highlight from what I could tell was a little Jimmy thing with that had a "What will become of me?" outro. No words that nice. went straight into Pantalanaga Pampa and uh, and no Rapunzel just ended there. So wow. that was pretty cool. And also Tim is just not from this world. That guy, you give that guy an acoustic guitar and I could, I could listen and watch that all day and wish he would bring out the acoustic with the full band. Oh, I know. I know. We've talked about it before. It's a dream. We will continue to talk about it. And we don't mean in the acoustic set. We mean the full band on stage, electric Tim on mm-hmm. a nice, full-sounding acoustic. And you're right. That was so cool to see Jimmy into uh, What Will Become of Me and Pantala. Like, that's that's good stuff. That's awesome. I love that that's Dave old and Tim. school. Yeah, exactly. I love that Dave and Tim like to kind of take a few more risks there. They, for some reason, are a little more interesting set list wise um, these days. It seems like, um, you know, for the maybe not even for the most part, but um, you know, they they have fewer shows, so they have you know fewer chances to dilute it. I guess. Yeah, I'm ready for another Dave and Tim tour, and the often rumored Dave and Tim studio album that maybe <laughs> one day. Maybe one day will happen if we're lucky. Oh man, that would be so cool! Oh, just do it. Oh. <laughs> need it. We really do, and we really also need to get out of here because we are going on probably way too long. But we had something very special to celebrate this week. So happy twenty fifth anniversary yet again to Under the Table and Dreaming. And before we say goodbye, see what I did there? Um, Mm. (laughs) Full band. We have five more shows upcoming before, I mean, over the next several weeks. And they will all be, two of them will be down in Brazil. And um, I believe three of them are going to be down there in Mexico. So um, hopefully those fans down there are going to have a blast and enjoy those shows. Um, Actually, Nolan... (laughs) Um, I was unaware of this. Probably when you're listening to this, DMB will be in Brazil because 927, the actual anniversary of Under the Table and Dreaming, is when the first Brazil show is down in Sao Paulo. How cool. Maybe they'll play the full album. Oh, that would be goat. And uh, we'll keep you posted on all of that. You can be sure to follow us on our social accounts. At Gray Street Pod, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, the Corner of Gray Street Podcast, and be sure to subscribe and download 
the pod wherever you get your podcasts. We would appreciate it. Always love the support. And that wraps it up. Yes, yes. And if you feel so inclined, leave a kind review. Five stars, please. Kind comments. Pass it on to your friends. All that good stuff. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. And don't forget to give Under the Table and Dreaming some love this week. Happy 25th anniversary yet again. Nolan, great to do this with you again this week as we enter into... Well, what will be the off season and maybe some more interesting and unique stuff coming from the podcast. Oh yeah, we're gonna gonna keep people on their toes and do some, some interesting stuff that we've got planned out for you. So Can't wait. We'll still be going strong. Absolutely. And we'll be adding members to this family as well. Hint hint, Nolan and his baby boy. Anyways. Oh yeah, and same to you. Oh well, I mean not in that way, but yeah, sort of, kind of, I don't know. I <laughs> will be getting married here. Mailage. In the off season. Mailage, dude. <laughs> oh, man. We are, we are so loopy late at night, and I love it. And <laughs> thank you guys for sticking with us and putting up with our garbage. We love you, and we will see you next week or next time, whenever that may be, on the corner of Gray Street. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.